0: to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of our podcast today is Zorg Gorodov, co-founder and CEO of Casisto.
1: Our long-term belief that Conversational user interface is the most natural, most intuitive way for consumers to interact with computers. The vision of the company is to be able to enable better financial decision-making using conversational AI. The idea is to democratize financial services huh. through AI and make sure that everybody gets the best possible advice. As we believe it is so important because as consumers shift to digital the relationship between banks and their customers become very transactional people go in and check their balances pay the bill you know uh, look up some transactions and then then move on and you know the whole concept about you know humanizing that experience is to add intelligent conversational systems that can help the consumers better understand better manage their money but also help banks better engage those users on these channels as well
0: this is or he has over 20 years of experience in the software industry. He was a co-founder and CEO of SpeedCycle, a market leader in cloud-based, contact center optimization solutions for the telco market. SpeedCycle was acquired by Synchronous Technologies. Before that, Zor founded and BusCompany.com, a provider of enterprise collaboration and messaging software, which was acquired by Multex.com. He has held multiple engineering and product management positions at Microsoft and Computron Software. His interest in speech and natural language technologies dates back from the early 90s, when he worked at Bell Labs. And this is where his latest company comes in, Casisto. The company was founded around the mission to create technologies that give financial institutions the power to produce humanizing digital experiences that build valuable relationships. And this triggered me, and hence I invited Zor to my podcast. We explore the challenges that banks face as their relationships with customers becomes very transactional. And what needs to be done differently to continue to grow valuable and engaging relationships. We also discuss the source vision to create a software business that's worth making a remark about. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, why designing our software solutions for trust is underrated, and consequently, more often than not, trust erodes rather than increases. Secondly, how we can create human machine combos that deliver value larger than the sum of its components. And thirdly, the true value is not coming from replacing an old function with a new gimmick. It comes from creating net new experiences, enabling things that users are not able to do already. Well, hi, Zor. Thank you for being a guest on my podcast today.
1: Happy to be here. Hello, Tom.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reason why I invited you was an email. Mail that I recently received about, well, news in the, in the industry and your company was mentioned again, I've, I've been following your company on a distance for a while, but you won an award again. So congratulations, first of all, on that. And the reason why I was following you for a while was because of the things you are doing in the banking industry. And that caught my attention. So let's have a discussion around that. But before we start, it's always interesting for my audience to, to get to know you a little bit more. So if you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what would that be?
1: Well, I'm a software entrepreneur, I'm a software engineer by training. I, you know, I love software and that's how I started my career and that's how, what I continue to do now.
0: Okay. And what characterizes you? Any special characteristics?
1: I like working with people. I like building relationships with, with my employees, with uh, customers. I really believe in that. So I like, that's, I don't know if it's a characteristic of mine, but I, I really being around people and, you know, I enjoy what I do every day. I like being around my employees. I like to spend time with customers, understanding what the, their pain points are, I like to build products work work with my product teams and again, helping solve some real problems.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a perfect link to, your, to what your company, Casisto does. And on the website, on the homepage, it says humanizing digital experiences, which is what it's all about. At the end, it's about people. And I like that. So talking about your company and to introduce that, can you explain what is the big idea behind the company? Well,
1: there are really two ideas. One idea is sort of our long-term belief that conversational user interface is the most natural, most intuitive way for consumers to interact with computers. It will continue to, to happen, it will continue to get better, it will continue to get smarter. And you know, one day we we'll get to a point where conversational user interface will be it and graphical user interfaces will be used in support of the conversation. So that's a sort of you know big picture, big idea. We are taking this concept into finance, and the idea in finance is the vision of the is really behind the vision of the company, is to be able to enable a better financial decision making using conversational ai we use conversational ai to enable human like conversations and we have we handle millions of these conversations today every month and we're hoping that every one of those conversations over the ai powered they are helping users to achieve better outcomes the idea is to democratize financial services huh. through ai and make sure that everybody gets the best possible advice and you know, God knows these days people are worried about their health and they're worried about their finances. And, you know, then, so come, we, our bet is that conversational AI will become more of an, an answer in financial services.
0: Yeah, I mean, you must definitely see a spike right now in terms of people talking to any device, what the status is, right?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a need. I mean, it's, it's very unfortunate we're living through this now yeah and we're certainly seeing a spike in our systems our customers are seeing spikes in their contact centers and their websites yeah that's the time and you know normally i think that the the one of the outcomes of what happens today with the coronavirus is that many banks will start rethinking their digital engagement digital servicing strategy and virtual systems will become more of a mainstream in banking and certainly core components of banking business continuity platforms.
0: Yeah, I can imagine exactly. Yeah, you won't, don't want people in the banks anymore, especially the last couple of weeks, and that will hopefully indeed create a a moment for banks that now is the moment. And I, I real, I mean, I'm not sure how that is across the world, but I mean, for, I live in Spain, and typically all the banks that I work with have have been on these digital platforms for a number of years right now. Although I must say that it's typically an app, and I'm not talking to the app yet, so. That's the next thing then.
1: Well, I think it's it's not just the digital transformation in the banks, it's changing consumer behaviors. I, yeah, I think that people, you know, people still go to the branches and call contact centers and that will, you know, continue. So it's one thing for banks to digital transform themselves and it's another thing to change the behavior of consumers, which takes time. And unfortunately, crisis like we're in now, you know, oftentimes become that sort of watershed event where you know, people look at it and banking executives look at it and say, well, we just need to find different way to engage your customers, a different way to service yeah. our customers. Now, if you think about it, I mean, that, and you mentioned humanizing digital experience. We believe it is so important because as consumers shift to digital, the relationship between banks and their customers become very transactional. People go in and check their balances, pay their bill you know, uh, look up some transactions and then they move on. And, you know, the whole concept about, you know, humanizing that experience is to add intelligent conversational assistance that can help the consumers better understand, better manage their money, but also help banks better engage those users on those channels as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see how this all evolves. And I mean, I I have a customer that's in the e-commerce space. And one of the things that they've seen developing is that relationships that were typically always face-to-face in the past, kind of selling goods, have now turned digital. And one of the things that became sort of an issue for, for building long-term relationships was the whole level of trust. Is that something you see as well as something to design for?
1: How to build trust on digital platforms? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's super important. And that's where intelligence comes in. I mean, the, why do you think people call contact centers you know, yeah, of course, they are digital laggards and people who don't want to you know go to their app or you know or mobile banking mobile website, but at the end of the day there's some people who call their banks because voice and human on the other side is still the most reassuring thing right exactly so yeah. I think that and then to the extent that the digital platforms do not provide engagement and intelligence that instills trust and confidence that you get the right answer and your issue is solved. You know that people will demand person-to-person contacts. Yeah, trust is absolutely one of the key elements, and the trust tied to intelligence.
0: Yeah, true. So, what is the opportunity if you get this right? I mean, if you look at customers before using Casisto and and after, what is the difference in terms of what they experience and their customers experience?
1: You know, to answer the question, I think we need to look at two aspects of two parties. so to speak, interacting with taking advantage of our capabilities. On one hand, you have banks, and banks have very specific needs. Right? When they go digital, they are looking for better ways to digitally engage, acquire, and service customers. And that's where they, they start using our platform, and they you know they we help banks achieve very measurable and very impressive business outcomes. For example, one of our customers mm-hmm. deployed Kai. Kai is our virtual assistant product mm-hmm. and it's a white label product. So banks create their own persona, they design their own names, et cetera, et cetera. So they deployed Kai Powered Assistant. Before Kai was deployed, they had a live chat option on their the mobile apps and, and online website. In other words, you know, before Kai, you as a consumer of, of that particular bank, you could click on An icon, live chat came up, you chatted with the customer service representative, and then you moved on. It's a model that is hard to scale. That's what we're talking about on this call. So they deployed Kai. So now consumers had to go to Kai, interact with Kai, and only then, you know, live chat agents were sort of a backup for Kai, and, you know, the users could engage live chat assistants only after speaking with Kai. So here are the results that they achieved. First of all, 85% 85 percent of all questions that were asked were answered without human assistance. In other words, questions that consumers went in and asked Kai, Kai answered 85 out of 100 of those questions. Okay, high. a number of live chat sessions at a bank was reduced by 50 percent. Oh, so now you have this AI assistant answering questions there is a lesser need to interact with humans. So banks was able to reduce live chat volume by 50%. Now, and most interestingly, the engagement as measured at number of sessions that were initiated before and after CHI was 4x. In other words, consumers went to Kai powered virtual assistants four times more frequently than they initiated live chat session. And, you know, if you look at types of interactions, that becomes very obvious why this is happening, because in order to go to live chat, you need to, it's a commitment, right? You need to go in, you need to talk about the weather, and you need to, you know, uh, talk about coronavirus. And then you say, well, by the way, why did you block my card? And consumers go in and interact, they go in, ask questions, you know, what did I spend on Uber, my trip in San Francisco, get the answer. So not only they're able to answer questions very quickly, they can answer more questions and different types of questions. So in this case, virtual assistant drove engagement because it it not only enabled instant answers, but it also answered different types of questions. Questions that could, you know, that could, you know, you don't even call or, you know, your bank or live chat with your bank because you know the bank will never answer the question. So it drove expansion of use cases. So the banks are looking at it and saying, well, it's about servicing, engaging, and acquiring. And we show some outcomes. I talked about servicing, 80% plus containment, 50% reduction in live chat, engagement, 4X. Now, on on acquisition, 15% of the remaining sessions, remember I said we answered 85 out of 100 questions, 15 of those, about 20% of those sessions led to upsell and cross-sell opportunities. In other words, Kai was escalating to live chat because... There was an opportunity that the consumer was inquired about the new product or a new service. So we drive the engagement. I call all of those three things, service, engagement, and acquired. Now, the other side of that spectrum is the consumers themselves. Consumers don't go to banking websites to be serviced, engaged, or acquired. They go because they have a problem. They need to make a decision. And that's what we're yeah. focused on. You know, Our uh, vision is to help consumers make uh, better financial decisions. And that's how we design our systems.
0: Nice. I mean, it, it solves a range of things and yeah, it, it actually makes people available again to do the things that, yeah, why they were hired in the first place, which is do the more valuable cases. Interesting. So, I mean, I've I realized you're, you've been in business for, since 2013. So you were early in this game, I would say. But you also made a very distinct decision to go for, for the financial industry, the banking industry specifically. What was the reason behind that?
1: yeah so the reason behind that goes back to the history of the company. first of all, my DNA i've been this is my third startup. I always worked in enterprise software cloud services space, so I understand the enterprise software business I like it i I don't have any anything about consumer any knowledge wow. of how to build consumer businesses so that's part of consideration. The history of Cosisto goes back, as you said, seven years. The Cosisto is a spin-off from Stanford Research Institute, or SRI. SRI is one of the largest, probably top five labs in the world, and AI is one of their core competencies. Yeah. So, some of your listeners may not know SRI, but they for sure know Siri. Siri is an AI startup that was created at SRI before it was sold to sure. Apple. So they really have a decades of AI experience, and the history of Cosisto goes back to Siri, I think. There's a team of SRI scientists started working on next-generation virtual personal system platform, Mm -hmm. post-Siri. And the idea was to build, to create human-like experience and make this platform conversational. And in order, they decided in order to do that, they said that, well, we need to make it vertical-specific. What does it mean, right? You know, what makes Sky unique is the combination of natural language and reasoning technologies, right? Natural language is understanding what user intent is, and the reasoning is helping users get things done. I'll give you an example. I'd like to buy an Apple. Whether you are Best Buy or E-Trade or Trader Joe's, your Apple buying experience is quite different. So, you know, combining natural language and reasoning and helping users buy the right apple, that's where the domain knowledge comes in. So, SRI started yeah. working on the platform. At the same time, they this is I'm going to say maybe 2010 or 11, they were approached by BBVA, which, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with BBVA. Yeah. And the CEO of BBVA at the time commissioned a survey of customers, employees, executives, prospects around the world, and his, he basically wanted to know what's the digital engagement like on mobile channels, on the online websites. And one of the key takeaways from the survey that BBVA did at the time was human-like interactions. And I think BBVA, BBVA went to SRI and they collaborated. And if you, today, if you go do Google search and for BBVA, SRI, Lola, you will see that the world's first banking virtual assistant was built by SRI with BBVA. And that, that IP yeah. was folded and became consistent. So the first thing, an SRI oh, approached okay. me to become the CEO of the venture. I went to SRI. They were based in Menlo Park. They're still based in Menlo Park. And I met with a team and I was really, really impressed with what they built. And I said to SRI, I said, well, you know, I'm really interested. At the time, I sold my second software company, and I said, I'm really interested. However, I want to do two things. First, I'm no longer a software engineer. I used to write code, but not not anymore. And I need a strong technical co-founder, somebody who can help me take this technology to market. And then I need to validate demand in banking, make sure that banking is the right vertical for us to go to. So I was able, was fortunate enough. I came back to New York from my trip, and I was able to recruit uh, Sasha Kasky. Sasha became co-founder of CTO. He came, uh, he joined me yep. from IBM, and we started going to SRI, and then we started meeting with banks. This is 2013, 14, and we saw really strong interest in virtual assistant technology. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: And then we came back, applied. There's a group in New York called FinTech Innovation Lab. We applied to it's sort of white combinator of New York, if you will. And we ended up winning the competition and started working with a lot of banks and the rest of his history.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree with you on the example of buying an Apple. That domain knowledge is extremely high. And I think it also goes back to the discussion we had earlier on around trust, because this is, first of all, it's about finance. But I mean, the experience that a lot of people have is the moment you speak to a generic AI or generic virtual assistant, you get answers all over the place. And it just, you stop and you start calling the support line again. And, yeah. Uh, and
1: then people build a lot of systems that are not that intelligent. You know, we major bank in Europe deployed a virtual system. You go and you say, would like to open a savings account. And it says, I know you're asking me something about savings. Well, it tells you that they basically do pretty dumb, rudimentary keyword detection. They don't understand. And if you a virtual system, you can help your customers open an account and understand a savings account. I mean, what, what do you know? I mean so I think utility and intelligence leads to trust.
0: True. Yeah. And trust at the end in, specifically in this world, but there are more, more industries like that. It's about that uh, vertical domain aspect. Understanding the language. And that's also what I've seen a number of times on your website, mastering the language of banking. So I mean, yeah, I think we have discussed a couple of things already about what you specifically did in order to, to make the solution remarkable in what it is. And I mean, you've, you've already highlighted a number of prices, into, including a recent one again. So what did you learn from, from selling this and, and how fast this is going in the banking industry? Well, nothing is
1: going fast in the banking industry. <laughs> in fact, if you run enterprise software, things take time. Yeah. And that's how we, you know, we are an enterprise cloud company and, you know, we, we work with banks. What we've learned are a number of things that, A, virtual assistants are becoming a must-have, and B, while it, the state of the technology was such that only big banks, large banks, could afford to, you know, play with virtual assistants and deploy them and build them, the underlying technology is becoming mature enough the yeah. Where virtual assistants can be deployed on scale by smaller financial service organizations, credit unions, and regional yeah. banks, and provide very compelling user experiences as well.
0: That's good. I mean, you're talking about democratizing financial services. And that's exactly what, where this is going then, because well, the moment there, you speak there, with a company...
1: Yeah, there is com- no reason for... You know, Bank of America has Erica, their virtual assistant, you know... yeah. There are various estimates of, out there about how much money Bank of America spent it, but all of them are in tenths of millions of dollars. And yeah. Erica's is a good example. A bank is sort of building its brand around and there is no reason why, given today's state of conversational AI and products that are out there, the smaller banks, not be able to use products like Kai and provide user experience that are in power even better than yeah. Erica. There are some things that that Kai does that are very, very compelling. One of, the, one of which is that it is a conversational system. It's not a question-answering system. You can have actually have a conversation with Kai and you can start making a payment and then come back and say, Well, wait a minute, you know, do I have enough money in my checking? Kai says, Well, no, but I will transfer money from savings. Let's do that. And then you make a payment. So, you know, you know, the, those are human-like experiences. that are very, very many. Yeah.
0: yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, what crossed my mind at the end is. Typically with the banking industry, I think that's maybe the best example of it for what, I, for what I know. I mean, I have to count the number of times I actually go to a bank. So the moment that experience is not what you expect or not what you want anymore, you switch. So it's like I can see your point about virtual systems becoming a must, but also that you want to have the best possible one because otherwise that loyalty is, is not there anymore.
1: I don't know if I completely agree with that. I think switching from a bank is still a commitment. But I do agree that experience really, really matters. I want to go circle back and go the question that you asked about biggest learning, and I think it will also address to what you just said. I think the company's biggest learning was that to build compelling conversational experiences is not about putting a layer of natural language or speech recognition on top of the banking functions that you already have in mobile app. Like, yeah. if, this, if your transfer money requires voice enablement, then it's probably not well-designed. You should improve transfer money feature, not put voice on it. I think the, what we've learned is the beauty and utility of conversational AI systems are in creating net new experiences, enabling things that users are not able to do already in digital channels, right? The example I used before, You know, you you said you came back from San Francisco, New York. Well, you know, what did I spend on dining out on my trip to San Francisco? Now, try and do that in your mobile app, but it takes, you know, three seconds and you get that answer in Kai. So really, it's about creating net new experiences, as opposed to trying to voice enable or natural language enable features that you already have as a bank.
0: Let me make a small interruption here. Zor just explained the critical mindset that drives the success of his company to create net new experiences that users are not able to do already, instead of putting a layer on top of an old function. This is a trait that defines remarkable software businesses, their ability to create new value possibilities, be it small or large. Mastering this trait underpins the viability of your software business, and with that, its ability to create solutions people find worth making a remark about. If you want to learn what you can do to turn the software business you own, run, or work for into a remarkable software business, I advise you to read my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can buy it on Amazon and many other portals where they sell books online. Back to the interview. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of writing my book. I mean, one of the key traits that, I've, that I'm talking about in my book is that exact thing, that remarkable software companies create new value possibilities. It's chapter number Five. So it's that's exactly gotta, that. Not not I doing I the get, same thing in a different way.
1: I gotta get your book now. So <laughs> now that you know we agreed on that, on the commandment number five is remarkable experiences, new experiences.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. So, what are you most proud of seeing so far? Anecdotes from banks or from from people that are related to that.
1: You know, I'm most proud of the team that we have in place. We have an incredibly talented team of employees, people who I respect and like, and we're all working remotely now. We're sort of holding the business together, trying to service our customers. So my biggest achievement so far is really putting this team together and and making sure that people work together and that we have the right company culture. And so that's, that's the biggest moment for me, if there is one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay yeah well i mean that's it's a very common answer at the end it's also about the team because without the team you get, don't get the brilliance to well to come up with the the long-term viability as a company to stay ahead of well
1: the, you know to me it's not about the end to me it's the beginning of the team it starts with the team and ends with the team yeah. i think that exactly. if i my job as a ceo is to put the right team together and give them the tools and resources they need to execute and then that will make my customers happy so i'm Sort of my mentality or operating mode is I'm employee for CEO. At least I'd like to uh-huh. think that way. So, and we have a number of core values. one of which in the company is to respect our customers. We're you know, we're trying to work and listen to our customers very carefully. With that said, I think that I believe that you know employees and the talent that we have is our biggest competitive
0: advantage. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree on that. That's. It's often used in the wrong way, but at the end it's about the people that make that makes things happen. So from the lessons learned and well, if you would speak to peers in your industry, what would you advise them to do different or stop doing in order to create a remarkable software company?
1: Stop doing. Well let me tell you Stop them what or I start would, doing? Yeah, start. I think start look, I, I think it starts with the culture and the values in the company and the vision. I think that's where the companies start. I think product ideas get created. I think execution is important. It's not about the ideas, but the culture and, and value and vision persist. So that's how I would recommend how, you know, and I, you know, it's very hard to execute and build software business or any business, probably the companies that have no vision, companies that have, don't have the foundation of culture and values that are that built on. In fact, when we started Casisto, before we started Casisto, the co-founder sat down and we were, for two days, we were locked up in a room and we said, what kind of company we want to build? Kind of people we yeah. want to hire. You know, what's what are the values of the company? What's the vision? So I think that that's where it all starts. What not to do is what I would tell my colleagues in the AI industry is to really. Reduce the rhetoric and buzzwords about AI self-driving this and you know self learning that and deep learning and self- training people use a lot of buzzwords and it just you know it's you know what we do is hard enough and I don't think it needs more buzzwords and marketing and you know in, in a way that is not truthful so I think that's the as you said 90% of your customers are say they do AI well the real ratio is probably 10% but everybody says AI and you know in, in enterprise software space, you know, executives get confused. You know, they hear companies saying things in different way, and it's just. So I think aligning what the priorities are. My, my favorite example is I like tennis. The last year, I think IBM Watson ran commercials about Serena Williams. Serena Williams was talking to a Watson computer about her serve and velocity of her serve, and it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Well, I'm sitting on my bed trying to tell Siri to set my alarm clock, and I, my experience was very different. I'm saying, well, what does IBM know that Apple doesn't? So I think those kinds of exaggerated experiences, you know, really set expectations that are realistically high. And then, yeah. you know, companies big and small are paying the price. That's true.
0: Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it gives the whole industry a different, but it hurts perspectives and it hurts trust again. So lead with your remarkable moments in your software and amaze customers with that and then the rest will follow. And whether that's an AI thing or something else, It doesn't matter anymore.
1: It doesn't matter. You're right. You're absolutely right.
0: So what is next for you as a CEO of this company? Where do you want to be in the next 12 to 24 months?
1: Ooh, this is such a loaded question to be asking in the COVID crisis. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, fortunately enough, we are well-funded. We raised our latest round of financing in January And I think, wouldn't it be fun to be raising money in this year, so we can actually think about 12 or 24 months. My objective is to make sure that we go through this crisis, that we hold the team together, that we invest in R&D to create a remarkable product because I think the company is in a time of crisis. When they double down and invest in products, they come out on the other side of it. And I know they we really come out. That there, is, there is an end to this tunnel that yep. we're in now. And my goal is to position a company to make sure that we have the best platform, the best virtual assistants, the stronger customer relationship, and the most engaged and healthy employees. That's what I, you know, that's, and then, you know, and then we grow from there.
0: Just a question that pops up again: Like, are you doing anything more or less than you did a couple of weeks ago, in terms of getting that? Well, realizing what you just said.
1: Well, I am learning how to run the company on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, I'm spending a lot more time. I mean, we have a with my direct reports, as management team. We have a management meeting every day. You know because the risk, you know, I, I used to walk around and talk to people. I also spent a lot of time talking to employees one on one. I set a time aside or I asked people to reach out to me. And then so I think everybody's learning how to do this and sort of run the company virtually or be part of the company yeah, virtually while focusing everyone on, on the goals of what we need to accomplish. I mean, we're not reducing our commitment to our customers. Our customers need us more today than they did yesterday. So we yeah. are aiming to keep our deadlines to deliver. We are aiming to keep our product deliverables and stay focused.
0: Yeah, focus on the end goal and to come out better at the end. So that's always an interesting one to set time apart for that and to reflect on what is, how is the world going to be radically, well radically different from what it is today. That's an opportunity. So thanks for this. Where can people f- go to find out more about Casisto or to reach out to you?
1: Oh, well, they can go to casisto.com. And I am Zor at casisto.com. The moment we'll hire another Zor in the company, I won't be CEO. So, you know, it's like a lot, really easy to reach me. Because as long as I don't need my last name attached to my email address, I'm, I'm happy. Exactly. So, Zor at casisto.com is where I'm reachable I'm happy. If somebody has questions to, to continue okay. answering them.
0: Well, thank you very much. It was an interesting and inspiring conversation. I learned a lot. From your viewpoints and I like them great. so uh, good luck in this difficult time and yeah I mean let's create an opportunity then when all of this is over
1: great thank you so much for having me stay safe and next time you're in New York please reach out I apologize it took a year and a half to to get connected but I was waiting for this major award to you know to make <laughs> you think that we're remarkable
0: <laughs> no no no, I reached out one and a half year ago with exactly the same idea behind it already.
1: <laughs> but we were we didn't have that award, okay?
0: <laughs> so. Okay. All
1: right. Fair enough. Okay, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank
0: you so much. And this ends my interview with Zor. I hope you value the discussion I had with him. We love to hear your thoughts about this episode. And if you have any questions, please post it. And if the interview inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Zor Gorolov, co-founder and CEO of Casisto. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a Remarkable Software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.